Let me ask you a question. What would happen if many of us would now choose to go from the ordinary to the extraordinary? If we chose to go from good to great, if we chose to go from the natural to the supernatural, from big to bigger, from God to more of God, doesn't that sound great? I mean, everybody wants to go from good to greater, don't we? We want things to be even more extraordinary than what they already are. But to really answer that question, in order for those things to happen, something would have to change. See, many of us, we want things to change for the better, and we're not ready for them to change for even sometimes the worse. But nevertheless, things still must change. This morning, I want to talk to you about this change. Let me ask you even right now. If we were to do this, and I want to ask you about your bank account, and I were to say, you know what? I want to give you $10,000 to your bank account. How many would love that change? Wow, only a few of you? The rest of you are good. All right. God bless all other hundred of you. Amen. I would love that change. What if I were to say, you know what, I got a brand new BMW sitting right outside, fully loaded. Here are the keys. It's yours. Paid off. How many would love that right there? Wouldn't that be awesome? Or how about if I were to take some keys out of my pocket and say, you know what, I got a brand new house. It's furnished up. There's a pool in the back, a great big patio for the kids. If you ain't got no kids, you're going to love it even more. You can do whatever you want back there. Two-story house four bedrooms, and a fifth in-law in the back just in case your in-law comes. But guess what? It's an in-law way in the back, so if they do come, they're going to get way away from you. It's paid off. A $1.2 million house, it's yours. How many would take that? I would take it, right? See, we all want change for the best. It's just what kind of change? I want you. I would take a brand new BMW. I want a new house. I'd love to have $10,000 in my bank account. We all want this change for the better, but sometimes many of us, we don't want it, what it takes for us to get the best out of ourselves. Somebody once said, some people will change when they see the light. Others change only when they feel the heat. I like what Thomas Akempis said. He said, be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. See, far too often we said, man, that person's got to change. That guy's got to change. That girl, she's got problems. She needs to change. Well, if you want to see a change in her, then you need to have a change in your perspective. It's a change. Something has to change. We cannot expect different results and continue to do the same old, same old time after time. If we want to see a change in our house, it's going to start with those that live there. If we want to see a change in our home, then it's going to be the ones who put their head on the pillow in that house. We're the ones that has to change it. There's a story about two construction workers. I love this story. I've said it before. Two construction workers, they had taken a lunch break, and they opened up their lunch boxes. One of them looked inside his box and said, not baloney again. I can't believe it. I hate baloney. This is the third time this week that, I, that I've had baloney, and I can't stand baloney. The other construction worker looked at him and said, why don't you just ask your wife to make you something different? 
He replied, I don't have a wife. I made this myself. See, the fact is that most of the baloney in our life, we made it. Nobody else made it. We made it. And if we want to see a change of baloney in our life, then you got to change the meal. You have to change your perspective. You have to allow God to change your character. There's got to be a change. It cannot be the same old, same old, uh, time after time. Listen to me, especially you married couples. We're going to be talking about marriage, and we're going to be talking about family right now. Far too often we think he's got to change, she's got to change. No, my friend, the change starts with you. Starts with you. Starts from within. Especially for those of us that have made a commitment. See, whenever you make a commitment, you find emotional distress that happens with that. Emotional hardships takes place. And so we figure, well, if I can just change the person, I'll change the circumstance. That's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. You cannot change the commitment. You got to stick to the commitment, but you got to change your perspective. You got to change your character in your commitment. Can I hear an amen? See, what is change? Change is something that presses us out of our comfort zones. It is destiny filtered, heart grown, and faith built. See, change, my friend, is inevitable, and it is not a respecter of persons. Change is for the better or even for the worse, depending upon where you view it. It is uncomfortable, for changing from one state to the next upsets our control over the outcomes. Change has a ripping effect on those who will not let go. Change is needed when all the prompts and practices of the past no longer work. Change is not comforted by the statement, just hang in there, but with the statement, you can make it. See, we don't grow in retreat, but through endurance. Change is not fixed by crying, worrying, or even mental treadmilling. Change is won by the victors and not the victim. And see, here this morning, that choice is yours. Somebody once said, it is strange that while praying, we seldom ask for change of character, but we always ask for change in circumstance. God, change my circumstance. Get me out of this stress. Get me out of this predicament. Get me out of this and get me out of that. When really, in all reality, God put you in it to change you. God put you there to change you, not to change some circumstance. You cannot control the circumstance. Pastor Will is here. He couldn't control the circumstance. One day, each and every one of us, we're going to stop breathing. You cannot stop that. It's inevitable. But what are you doing while you're breathing? That's the question. What are you doing in the life that you're living on purpose for a purpose? See, this is something that you and I must understand within our lives, that God wants to change you. Can I hear an amen? God wants to change Victory Outreach. Can I hear an amen? See, before God changes this whole city, he needs to change his children. He needs to change his kids, his people. God chose us. So by that choice, we need to now choose to change for his honor and his glory. Can I hear an amen? See, here in this portion of scripture, I want to use this right here to catapult off in the story of Zacchaeus. Somebody say Zacchaeus. I've entitled this message, The Zac Attack. Lately, my kids have been watching uh, Netflix, and they watch my favorite show, and I walked into the room and they were watching it when I was a kid. It's called Saved by the Bell. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that show before. I used to watch it all the time. So the other day I walked in, and they were watching it. I go, what are you guys watching? And they're just like, 
watching Saved by the Bell, I go, you guys watching Saved by the Bell? That was that, I think that was the first moment in my life that I've ever felt old. I've never felt old before, I'll be honest with you. People say, oh, you're getting old, and they joke with you. I'm like, I don't feel old. That moment, I felt old. This was my show. Screech. Well, as I was watching the show, there was an episode where the, they came together. It was actually a dream. They came together, and Zach formed a band called the Zach Attack. You guys remember that? The Zach Attack, and they were all singing, and we're together, and school is cool. And You guys don't? Oh, forget it. Never mind. But there was dissension in the Zach Attack. There was things that were happening. So I entitled this the Zach Attack. There's changes that have to happen. In Luke chapter 19, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus, short for Zach. Here, the Bible says that something began to change within him. I'm going to give you three quick things that I saw as I studied this that changed that I believe we can encounter and we can see a change of circumstance first if there's a change within us. The first thing that I see here with Zacchaeus that changed was his attitude. Somebody say attitude. Tell your neighbor with attitude, tell them, change your attitude. <laughs> Nobody likes that, huh? The Bible says that he was a rich man, a wealthy man. Now, what do we know about rich folks? When you actually study even history, all throughout history, you will find that there's a few characteristics that are those of wealthy people. Now, it's not necessarily the same across the board, but it is a high majority and when you study wealthy, rich folk, you will always find somewhere in there that somehow they became stingy and they became proud. When you are a wealthy person, there is something that says, no, 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 this is mine. I earned it. You can't touch it unless I feel like giving it to you, then I will. Because when you're wealthy, when you have money and you have this mentality of, well, I have more than everyone else does, there is a pride that rises up. It just says, oh, oh the, the poor petty people. It's just, oh, let's just give them a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Because when you're wealthy, there's just a mentality that comes with you. See, right now, if I were to tell you that here, I'm going to make you the richest person in the room, right away, there is a, just a pride that rises up and says, oh, look, I'm going to help the petty people. I can help. Here, here's a few dollars. Just, I don't know what it is, but money does that to people. It changes the way you see things. It changes the way you do things when you have money, Right? For those of you that maybe got the extra bonus or you got the extra $100,000 that came out of nowhere, you're like, ooh, I could do something now. It just changes you. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is, but money changes you. The Bible says that here that Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. Now, many times, especially as Christians, we get this, this whole distortion of attaining wealth or attaining money as Christians. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, for the love of money is the root of all evil. I used to get asked this question a lot, and I used to hear the question being asked a lot. Well, then, how much money can a Christian have? Because Christians are supposed to be poor. Christians are supposed to not, they're not supposed to have a lot of money. They're supposed to, you know, be like Jesus. Jesus was poor. Well, actually, read the scriptures. Jesus was not poor. They use the scripture that, uh, uh, th that Jesus shared when he said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. So they go, oh, Jesus was homeless. Uh, actually, that wasn't the case. Study the scripture again. That's not even close to the case. 
Think of this. Jesus was walking around, had multitudes, some people believe in the tens of twenties of thousands of people following him and was giving alms and was giving offering. They would give offering. So just imagine if you had 20,000 people following you and all they did was just give you a dollar. You would have $20,000. These people were giving. Jesus wasn't poor. He was rich. He was just always giving it away. When people would give it to him, they would give it away. See, the Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. See, money is not evil. It's if you love it. So how much money can a Christian have? Is You can have as much as you don't love. That's what it is. See, if you love money, I would be very careful. I'd be very careful. I remember even somebody one time, they wanted to give me some money, but I, I seen their motives and I seen their their, their, their their perspective on it and how they wanted to give it to me, and it was a lot of money. And I told them, no, that's okay. And they were shocked at me because like, hey, this could help you out. So yeah, that's true, but I wanted help from you. I don't want to help from the bad attitude that you have. And I did. I rejected the money. It was a good amount of money. That wasn't in the millions, but, you know, in the thousands. I said, nah, I'm, I'm good. I don't need that. Because you think that I love money. I don't love money. I can care less about money. I know what I can do with money, but I don't love it. See, the trouble with many of us sometimes is that we love money. And so because we love money, we chase it. And you may think, well, I don't chase it. Yes, you do. Sometimes whenever you hear that word that your boss says, hey, I got overtime, you don't hear overtime. You hear ka-ching, ka-ching, more money, more money. And if you were up here, uh, if you were here, actually a, a couple months ago, I had Brother Matt. He came up here and he shared about how he had been taking the overtime, right? He had been taking the overtime, taking the overtime, and he found out, oh, my gosh, I actually have less money with the overtime because they're taking my taxes. Like, what's going on here? He actually stopped taking the overtime and did something brand new within his finances. He actually found out he had more money than what he had without the overtime. Just by making the change in your perspective. But for some reason, whenever you get a lot of money or you become a wealthy person, it just makes you have a certain attitude. Oh, I need more. Because once you get money, I want more of it. I need more of it. And it just goes after it. The Bible says here that Zacchaeus was this kind of man, was a wealthy man. A, a behavioral study has found that folks with money on their minds constantly are less helpful, less considerate, and less willing to ask for assistance or even engage with others than those who have not be, been preconditioned to money. The Bible says that he was a wealthy man. The Bible also says that he was a short man. For whatever reason, it described his stature. Now, if he was a short man, he could have very well had what we call the Napoleon complex. You guys heard that before? Napoleon, the short man complex. I can relate to that because when I was growing up, I was the shortest every sport I was involved with, every activity we were, we were with. And so what I've learned is that short people talk long neck. Maybe it wasn't you, but that was me. I just, I had to figure out a way. How am I going to win? I got to, you know, like, it, I, I, I kid you not, I was probably about four foot nothing all the way until I was about a senior in high school. I was small. I was a little kid. And so I used to get guys, we, I, you know, I still try to play basketball, and they would get guys, they would get the rebound, and they would come down, and what was the first thing to come down? Elbows. Boom, and I get hit in the head all the time. Like, man, what's the problem, man? Your mama? You know, like, I was like, I got to say something. I got to say, because I mean, man, because if not, I'm just going to be picked on all my life. And short people do get picked on sometimes. Oh, wh where are you at? I didn't see you <laughs> down there. Ha <laughs> ha, you short guy, you. 
you know, and I used to go back, well, man, how's the air up there? Man, you're so tall. You know, we're like, we'd go back and forth and back. You know, you got to just, I got to say something. Because being a short person, you get a little bit of a complex. That I did. I'll be honest with you. Growing up short, I, I had a complex. I had to figure it out. I'm going to say something. I'm not going to let them. I'm not going to let them beat me. I'm not going to let them defeat me. I'm not going to let them say nothing about me. Uh, I may be short, but I'm going to talk big. Maybe that's how Zacchaeus probably was. The Bible says that he was a publican. So if you're going to be a publican, if you're going to be in politics, you need to know how to talk. If you're going to be a politician, you have to be able to know how to talk and who to talk to and when to talk. So the Bible says that he was a wealthy man and he was a short man. So maybe, just maybe, he was a man who felt empowered by his money and also a man who felt like he had to tell people off because he was short. So we had these two things going for him in the negative sense. But the Bible says that Jesus came on the scene. And when Jesus came on the scene, Zacchaeus maybe heard about, because the Bible says earlier in the book of Luke, that Jesus was a friend to sinners and to tax collectors. What was Zacchaeus? Tax collector. He was making money. So right away, very well what could have been, because if you're a wealthy man, you don't really have a whole lot of friends. You gotta you gotta guard your wealth. You gotta guard your so all of a sudden he hears about a man who is a friend? Hmm. I'd like to go see this guy. Where's he at? Where's he from? Where's he going? What's he do? I'd like to know. He's a friend to tax collectors. I'm a tax collector. He's a friend of sinners. I'm not a sinner. But I got, I got money. Maybe I can get this guy. Maybe I could talk to this man. So the Bible says that all of a sudden, he came in and he heard about it. Now think about this. He's a rich man. And he's a short man. The Bible says that he went and he could not see Jesus. So what did he do? He climbed a tree. Think about this. If you're a wealthy man and people know you in the city, don't you? All you have to do is like, here, here's $100. Go find this Jesus. Why don't you bring him in my house? Uh, yeah, I, I got to like it. Tell him who I am. Uh, uh, trust me, he'll know who I am. I got this. Right? People feel like that. They feel empowered. Look, if you go to a restaurant, don't you feel nice if somebody knows you? You walk in the restaurant, they go, hey, oh, that's my friend. Come sit right over here. All right, I got this. I got this. Hey, hey, guys, follow me. We're good. We're sitting right here. He could have very easily did that. How come he didn't do that? How come he didn't just say, yeah, 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 here's some money. Go give it to him here. Here's a little bit for yourself. Tell him to just bring him to my house. We'll be good. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk. No. What he did inside of him changed everything. The first thing that he changed was his attitude. Because he said, listen, if I am going to change, the change has to start with me. So the Bible says that he went up and he climbed a tree. The moment he changed his attitude, he changed his levels. He went to the next level just by changing his attitude. See, some of you here this morning, if you are looking for a change and going to another level, the first thing that you need to change is you got to change your attitude. Change that attitude. Change the way you go at people. Change the way you talk to people. Change the way you keep saying, well, she's got a problem. She's got a problem. How come the problem is always with her, 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 and her, but they have problems? Don't you think that maybe the problem starts with this finger? Maybe you could keep doing that, but when you go, go in the bathroom and look in the mirror. Because Zacchaeus understood. He said, listen, I know I got a lot of money. I know I got a lot, lot of pull in the city, but if anything's going to change, I mean, think about this. 
When, when have you ever heard of a wealthy man getting dirty? He got dirty. He climbed a tree. He probably could have just said, hey, everybody, get out of the way. I need to see this guy. But he said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to use my wealth. I'm not going to use my status. I got to change. He changed his attitude. The first thing that changed within Zacchaeus was he changed his attitude. Somebody say attitude. See, this was very important to the life of Zacchaeus. The moment he changed his attitude, he changed his levels. He didn't care about his career. He didn't care about his popularity. He didn't care about his image. He didn't care about his way of life. He knew that he wanted to get in touch with Jesus. He needed to see Jesus. And if he was going to see Jesus in a whole new light, then my friend, what had to change was his attitude. See, some of you here this morning, one of the things that you have to understand is that when we come into worship, worship is not just hand gestures. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. Worship is a way of being. It's the attitude of worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, the attitude of worship. That's why when we say that word heart, it translates to the attitude. See, that's why some of you, when you come to church, it's very difficult to worship God because the attitude says, nah, at least they're lucky I'm even here. They should be gracious that I even came to church. Amen. Praise the Lord if that's how you feel. But I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to let that attitude keep me from going to the next level. When I come, I want to come with the attitude of worship saying, God, I want to give you all my praise. I want to give you all my worship. I want to give you everything, God. And I, I want to be empty by the time I leave here so that you can fill me. Fill me with you. Don't fill me with me. I've been filled with myself for too long. And I've been too wrong for too long. God, I need you. I need your presence. I need your power. I need your glory. I need your wisdom. I need you in my life. Can I hear an amen? Change the attitude. Somebody say attitude. Look at your neighbor one more time. Tell him, change the attitude. Then in Luke chapter 19, verse 5, we see a second thing change within Zacchaeus. First, the attitude, then secondly, accountability. Right away, Jesus says, I must stay at your house. Look at this. Let me ask you this question. Where is the most molded place that our heart's vision is fulfilled? The house. See, the home is where there is either elegance or ugliness. The home says everything about us. See, we come to church and we look good. Oh, man, that's a great dress you're wearing, honey. Oh, that's so great. Man, look at you, babe. Oh, man, you look so handsome. Look at your tie. Look at the suit. Oh, man, you look so great. And we talk nice here. We talk great here. Man, it's great to see you. Oh, see you next Sunday. Ding. You know, we have that whole thing going on. And so here we create an atmosphere that's just feels good feels good even when you're down like I didn't feel like coming but oh you know what all of a sudden I feel good but then you go home and like oh my gosh how come they didn't do the dishes who left this here how come there's clothes over there who left the light on how come we didn't throw out the garbage what's going on over here who did this who's knocking at the door who's ringing the doorbell how come we forgot to do this oh my gosh I don't know. where's the dog ah! you don't even have a dog but you're still where's the dog 
Because at home, we can determine whether there's elegance or ugliness. The home says everything about your life. See, here at church, we get a little bit of a glimpse of your life. But at home, that's where we can tell everything. Your favorites, your dislikes, your likes, what you love, what you hate, what you love to gossip about, what you love the rumors about. We can tell everything about that. See, at our houses, it's not just where we could tell a lot about a person, but we, where we could tell everything about a person. If I were to ask you right now, if I were to ask you this question, that right after service, can me and my wife go to your house? Handy Andy said yes. All right. But think about this. I know some of you want to say, all right, yeah, yeah they can come over. <laughs> yeah, they can, they can, oh, they can, oh, hold on. Is the laundry on the sofa? Did I take out the garbage? Is that smell still there? Oh, my gosh. Does it still stink? They're not going to ask to come into my room. They don't want to see my room. Do they want to see my room? Did I make my bed? Oh, my God. Did the kids, did they crayon? Is there crayon on the wall? They forgot to put the crayon off the wall, huh? Some of you, you have an uncle or an aunt that live with you. Oh, my gosh, are they drinking? Should I kick them out the house? What's going on? Why are they there? Did they, they, they slept on the couch last night. Oh, my gosh, I got to clean the couch. Oh, wait, wait, oh, my God. All these questions start going through your mind. Why? Come to church. Yay, go to your house. Hold on. Wait. Because if I ask to come to your house, it doesn't say a lot about you. It says everything about you. You're going to disclose everything, the things that you love and the things that you don't love. The things that you want us to see, which is the living room, look at the pictures. Look at everything that's going on. But then deep inside the house, underneath, you don't want us to see that stuff. You don't want nobody to see that stuff. It's personal. We, it's hidden. It's in the back. It's in the closet, behind the closet. That's in the closet that we put a box for the closet. Nobody needs to know about that. See, that's personal. See, right away, Jesus wanted to check his accountability. The word, the root word in accountability is called accounts. So when we go to your house, we check your accounts. Jesus knew that, so he wanted to check his accounts. He wanted to check his account, not financial accounts, your spiritual accounts. See, some of you, listen, if you are a mother, you are accountable for your children. If you're a father, you are accountable for your wife, for your family, for your kids. You're accountable for the finances. You're account- See, you have all these accounts. You must be accountable for what takes place at your house. Jesus knew this. So right away, he told Zacchaeus, he said, look, I know you sound good. I know everything sounds good when you go to church. I know everything sounds good when you look good in front of people. But I want to get down to the ugliness, the place where no one else can see, but I want to see it. The place where no one else knows, but I want to go there. See, here at church, we don't get to go there. We get to talk about it, but we don't get to go there. Jesus wants to go there. He wants to go there. See, and here this morning, I was even talking with a few of the pastors this morning. I said, you know what? We're going to go there. Because I've noticed, I've been doing some studies. I talked about it last week. And as I've been doing studies that what we find in the church is probably even worse in the church than we find outside the church. And that little word causes big, big consequences. That little word called pornography. 
this porn. See, as you study the scriptures, you will find that all sins fall under the three categories, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All sins fall under that cat- those three categories. And this lust of the flesh understands and they kind of coexist together with the lust of the eyes. They come together. And you will find that this little thing is messing up families every day. See, but I know we don't talk about it a lot, but see, Jesus knew if we're going to go there, let's go there. Let's go to your house and let's uncover the uncoverable. Let's talk about the untalkable. Let's do this. Let's talk about it. Let's go over this thing that we are finding, man, I I was getting even a little, uh, I don't want to say, maybe distressed a little bit when I was finding statistics over pastors that are leaving the church over pornography. Say, oh my gosh, this thing is killing us. Now believe me, I'm not talking about this without knowing that I had to get into prayer before we even went here. Because this is a heavy spirit. Even the moment I said the word pornography, I seen somebody just kind of sit back in your seat. Just, we don't want to talk about that. Like, let's not talk about it. But for whatever reason, the world gets to talk about it every single day. They get to talk about it. The moment you leave here, you're going to watch a movie trailer and there's going to be sex all over it. The moment you leave here, there's going to be an ad right there on the corner of a woman in a bikini. The moment you leave here. Well, but don't talk about it at church. Says who? Jesus understood. Listen, if we're going to really get to the root of it, I got to get to your house. Listen to me. What are you watching on that TV? Or for you new generation, because TV is starting to get old now. What are you watching on that computer? This new millennial generation. What are you watching on that phone? The phone, you can... You can take this thing. You don't have to be, see a TV. You just sit there and you got to watch and just what everyone else is watching. But the phone, that's why they call it mobile. Well, I'll just take my closet and I'll keep it over here. And no one goes see it. Nobody knows. Over there is church, but over here it's personal time. It's my time. See, Jesus said, if we are going to be able to get to the root of this, I need to get to your you time. You're my time. Let's get personal here. Let me go to your house. We even have a phrase where we call the, the, the home is where the, right? We have, we have a phrase that we call it that. And we've learned now is that a home is not just particularly a place. Some people, this is your home. This is the home. Maybe not for many of you, but, or not for all of you, but for many of you, this is your home. Like, you cannot go anywhere without this thing. I mean, you can lose your keys, you can lose your wallet, you can lose your kids, but you will not lose your phone. I gotta have, where's my phone, where's my phone? Where's Stevie? Oh, he's over there. All right, whatever. I gotta have my phone. You know that when you actually, uh, I was reading a little bit about Steve Jobs, you know that Steve Jobs stated that? That's what he stated. He said, I wanna make a product where people will forget about their keys and they'll forget about their wallet, but they will not forget about my product. That's what he said. And, and is he not right? Is he not right? He did, he did a good job. His goal was fulfilled. The problem with that is that the enemy knew that and said, hey, how can I make pornography easy? I know. I'll use the phrase of Steve Jobs. They call him the prince of the air. There's nothing connected to this. The only thing that's connected to this is air. There's, that's why they call them the airwaves. That's how your phone gets data. 
There's no hard line to this. This is not a landline. This is airwaves. So if you're not careful, the prince of the airwaves will infiltrate your home. You may think, well, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not cheating on my husband. I also I want to make sure because a lot of women think I'm just talking to the men. No, I'm not. I'm talking to the women too. The statistics will show you that. I didn't want to get into all the statistics, but they're crazy. Women pornography, watching pornography is on the rise, like big time, huge. It's always been a men's thing, but trust me, the women, it's crazy. What I, what I found here with this little device, or devices, I should say, because there's so many of them, that the enemy has figured out a way to get in there and to infiltrate your home. You may think, well, I'm not cheating. Actually, that's, you are cheating. You're cheating with your eyes. Which in turn, the enemy knows, if I can get you to cheat with your eyes, the lust of the eyes, I'll get you to cheat with the lust of the flesh. It's a process. It's a process. And the enemy knows, if he can get you to cheat here, it translates here, it drops down into here, and then all of a sudden it just takes control of you, and you got to do something here. It just controls you for whatever reason. The way that we were made, the way that we were created. See, in understanding that, Jesus knew if I'm going to get control of this man's family, of this man's mind, I got to go to his house. Listen to me, Victory Outreach Heart. Can Jesus come to your house today? Can he show up and watch the movies that you watched? He watched the stuff and sit next to you of what you're watching on your phone. See, we're getting personal now. It's personal time. So wait, wait, wait. This is me time, Jesus. Don't you know church is you time at home, sofa time? That's me time? Jesus said, no, 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 no. If there's going to be a change, I want to sit next to you while you're sitting on the sofa and nobody's around in the dark. I'll sit next to you. See, change has a ripping effect on those who will not let go. Let me ask you this. For those of you that you know, if, if this is not you, then it's not you. But for those of you that you use your phone for everything, I'm going to ask you a question. How would it be if you wouldn't have your phone for a month? Just going to let that question sink in for a little bit right there. I would die. Okay, for a week. Just for a week. See, because right away you go, well, how are they going to contact me? Man, how in the world did we ever survive the 50s? How do we get past the 60s? Oh, Lord, funky in the 70s. How did we ever dispel anything in the 80s? See, but right now, it's like, no, no, no. This is my everything. This is my everything. See, Jesus knew where his everything was. So he said, I need to go to where your everything is. I want to ask you here this morning, where is your everything? Where is your everything? Maybe you say, well, it's not my house, but believe me, you take it with you. Your home, you take it with you. may not be your phone, but it, you take it with you. 
And you've got to be very careful where you take it. So I ask you this question one more time. Can Jesus come to your house today? Can he check the accounts of your house today? Can he come in and do a spring cleaning in your house today? Or should I say summer cleaning in your house today? Can he come in and rearrange the furniture? Can he come in and change the meals that you eat every day? Can he change the meals of your eyes, the things that you watch? Can he change those around? Or is it, no, Jesus, this is my home. This is my heart. This is my everything. Don't change it, God. Listen, Zacchaeus understood. Zacchaeus understood what Jesus wanted to do. So what did he do? He said, listen. Jesus, I want you to come to my house today. Change everything. Change my life. Change my mind. Change my heart. I want to be more like you. Come into my heart. Change it all. See, when we get saved, that's one of the first things we say. Change my life. But all of a sudden, we get saved, and we say, wait, wait, wait. No more changing. I'm done. No, 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 no. God is still changing you. God's still changing you. I'm going on 21, 22 years saved. God is still changing me, still changing me as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a brother, as a son. God is still changing me. I want him to come into my house. Matter of fact, I need him to come into my house. I need Christ. I need Jesus more than I needed him 22 years ago. I need him to be Lord of my life. I need him to be king of who I am, king of my mind, king of my heart, and especially king of my eyes. King, my eyes. God, guide me. Guide my eyes. Guide my heart. Guide, guide my hands. Listen, if I'm honest with you here this morning, I cannot stand up here and say the past 10 years of our marriage has been the easiest, has been the greatest. It has been difficult. But I can honestly stand up here before you and say, man, whenever the, the, there has been opportunity, because opportunity, believe me, the flesh always throws other flesh in front of you. And they've tried to put things in front of me. People have tried to do things, and I just look at them like, are you serious? Is this really happening right now? Are you really that stupid? Come on, devil, get out of here. Get out of here with that stuff. But see, that's me. I know that the enemy, he's tried other ways to get me. He's tried other ways to get me. See, I thank God I had great examples as parents. I had great examples as parents, so I, I, don't, I don't really like that word at all, the divorce word. That's a D word in our house. We don't say that word. Stop that word. No, 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 stop that. We don't talk like that. Do we get disgruntled with each other? Of course we do. Do we get mad at each other? Of course, yeah. But we change in our commitment. We don't change our commitment. Are you hearing me? We change in our commitment. We don't change our commitment. It's a personal thing. See, this is what Jesus understood. What was going on? Even in verse 8. Zacchaeus says, if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusations. See, he wanted to make sure that Jesus knew that he knew that he just wanted to clear the air before he even came over the house. He wanted to make sure that everything was in its proper place. He knew that he had wronged some people, and since he got some things wrong with Jesus coming, he wanted to get some things right. See, now with all this going on, Jesus was about to enter his house. First, he changes his attitude. He goes to the next level. 
Then they talk about the accounts. Zacchaeus says, hey, if I've done anything to anybody, I give away half my stuff, and I'll give back four times the amount. That alone, I can stay on that. I can do a whole message just on four times the amount, just right there. But that's a whole other thing. So right there, he changes his accounts. He moves some things around. Then, now Jesus is coming into the house. The third thing and the last thing that changed with Zacchaeus is in Luke chapter 19, verse 9, you will find that the atmosphere changes. The atmosphere. First the attitude, then accountability, then the atmosphere. See, right away, everything in the house changes when Christ comes into the picture. Not just to you, but to your household, to those that live there and those that dwell with Jesus. See, the whole atmosphere in the house began to change. Why? He said, today salvation has come to you, just to you, just to you and your wife? No, to your house. So all those that are under your covering, and listen to me, the word house has to do with the covering. So that means, listen to me, it's very important to those of you parents that kids don't live with you. The covering of the house of protection has to do with the promise so that even though your children don't live with you, they're still under your covering. Oh, that should get some parents excited right there. That should get some parents happy right there. Even though they don't live with you, they're still under that covering. My, my kids still live with me, but I think about this scripture. I think about it. Ooh, how's it going to be when my kids got to move out? I mean, we say it in a jestful way. We say it in a humorous way. Oh, can't wait for the kids to move out. Actually, I can, I can wait for them to move out. I'm perfectly fine. I want to make sure before they move out that I allow Christ to move in. I got to make sure of that before they move out. I still got some time, so I'm going to take advantage of it, especially for those of you that tell me about your children. They've moved on, and they've moved out. And I, I hear some stories, some of them war stories. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did you guys survive that combat? Amen. I hear those things. like, whoa. So I want to make sure that, hey, before they move out, did Christ move in? The covering that is there, he said, today salvation has come to your house. I don't have time to labor the point. I talked about it real quickly earlier. But when Jesus said that, he said it right after Zacchaeus talked about money. Right after he talked about money, he said, oh, this guy gets the picture. He understands. He knows how to work this thing out. He said, look, look, look. he's not going to cheat no more. He's not going to lie no more. And so because of that, the promise, because the Bible says, has come. In other words, it's a promise that is on its way. It is taking place. You may not see it. You may not even feel it, but you're faithed. And so because you're faithed, you know that it is on its way. It is coming. There is a salvation that is coming under the covering today. Can I hear an amen? Your mom is going to get saved. Your dad is going to get saved. Your children are going to be saved. Today, salvation has come. Come to the house of the heart today. It's come today. You know what that, that means, has come? When it means it's on its way? The way I picture it, it's kind of like, who's the Raider quarterback? Derek Carr, right? Derek Carr, Derek Carr, Christian, awesome guy right there. I hope he does win a lot. I really do. I really like to see him make it. I don't want the Raiders to win. I just want him to win. That's cold, huh? That's cold. Actually, if you think about it, there's no other way around it because if he wins, they all win. All right, I hope you guys win. Go for it. Picture Derek Carr. D Derek or David? Derek Carr takes the snap, and as he takes the snap, the object of the game is for me to get this ball. Not him. It's to get this ball across those lines. 
But what does he do? He takes the ball and he throws it. Now, when he throws it, it's the job of the receiver to run his route, go wherever, do whatever he has to do, and get there and put out his hands. That's his job. Now, this is the thing. When they first start, he gives the signals. And he says, hike, go. On his way, while he's going, the promise is already in the air. He doesn't see it. He doesn't recognize it. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's traveling this way. He's going this way. He's blocking over here. He's moving around. He's spinning. He's doing what he has to do. But while he was doing what he was supposed to do, when he gets to his spot, there it is. Today, salvation has come. It is on its way. See, you may not see it. I know you, you don't see your wife being saved, but don't worry about it. She's on her way. I know you don't see your husband being saved right now, but don't worry about it. He's on his way. I know you don't see your children. All they do is cuss at you and say all this stuff and say, you're a horrible mom, a horrible dad. But don't worry about it. Why? Because they're on their way. Today, salvation has come to the house. Salvation starts somewhere, and it's received somewhere else. Salvation started with a tree, but it ended up at his house. <laughs> See, some of you got to understand something. It starts somewhere, but it's going to wind up somewhere else. It is on its way. Somebody say it's on its way. Somebody say it's on its way. See, this word salvation is very important. This word salvation in the Greek means soterian. The word soterian means defender or defense. It's very important. Salvation will be your defender. Why do you think they call it the helmet of salvation? Protects you. It protects you. Even when you are feeling unprotected, it protects you. It protects you. The thing I love about the helmet, always keep your helmet on. That's the message I got saved on with Pastor Saul. I'll still never forget that. And he talked about the two things. He was in the, uh, the Vietnam War, and he's seen things he should never have seen. He had done things he should never have done, he had said. And he talks about he was a Marine. First one's in, last one's out. That was literally them. And I got saved under his message. In his message, he talked about always change your socks and always keep your helmet on. Those are the two things that they were taught as Marines. Always change your socks. Why? Because you're in the swamps. And if the leeches get on your feet and you can't walk, you're no good to your infantry. Always change your socks. Always clean your feet. Always, always. Because you got to stand up and you got to walk in order to get to the next point. So I'll never forget that. And then also, always keep your helmet on. Even when you are not seeming like you're in the battle. Why? Keep your helmet on because you never know when you can get shot even by friendly fire. Even just by accident. Oh, Keep the helmet on. Helmets save lives. Salvation saves lives. Listen to me. For those of you parents that you've been trying so hard, your family members, you've been trying so hard. Say, man, I've been trying to change them. I've been trying to do this, but they keep on saying this about me. They keep on talking mess about me. They keep on saying I can't make it. They keep on saying I'll never amount to anything. They keep on saying that I don't even know why you're going to that church. I don't even know why, but listen, I want you to know something here today. Today, salvation has come to your house. Salvation will be your defender. God, Christ will be your defender, even in the midst of the battle, even in the midst of it all. My friend, God will raise up a standard, and there can not be any infiltration that will go beyond that. Why? Because he is your defender. 
He will defend you even when you're defenseless. He will help you even when you're helpless. He will give you hope even when you're hopeless. And guess what? He will even love you <laughs> even when there's no love in that house. You will find love. Christ comes in and changes the whole thing. Changes the whole thing. What I love about this that we see here is that salvation changes the whole atmosphere of the house. Salvation, defending it, working on it. Listen to me, mom, dad, I want to challenge you. As I close right here, I want to challenge you. Set the atmosphere of prayer in your house. Set that in your house, mom, dad. Set it in the house. Play the music. Put an atmosphere where things can happen. See, the reason why we come to church is because there is an atmosphere of Christianity that is here, that we can grow. That's why I come to church. I don't come to church to show off, to high sign, to see who's here, who's doing what, who's giving this, who's wearing that, who's going here. Who's no, 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 no. That's not why I come to church. I come to church because I need an atmosphere of growth. I understand that I cannot grow by myself, staying in that one particular place. I can't grow. Listen, I understand when I drive down the five and I look and I see down the 99, I see a bunch of oranges and I see a bunch of avocados and I see a bunch of grapes. I understand that that is the atmosphere where you can grow that. Things grow in a certain atmosphere. If you and I want to grow in Christianity, then we need to come to where there's an atmosphere. If you want your household to change, then you need to create a create an atmosphere. Now listen to me, fathers. I want to talk to all the dads really quick. You can come to the piano. I want to talk to all the dads real quick. It is your job to create the atmosphere. That's your job. Your responsibility. Now, do the moms do it very well? Yes, they do. They, they decorate and they put things together and they, they want this and they want that. Good. They get to decorate the house and the, and the furniture and the furnishings or however you do it. Maybe you're the furniture designer. I don't know. But one thing I can know for sure that as fathers, as men, you are the one that decorates the atmosphere. If it's getting chaotic in the house, and don't be blaming your wife. Don't be blaming your kids. You. You create the atmosphere. Well, they don't listen. To okay, well, then are you listening to God? Are you hearing what he has to say? Are you going where he wants you to go? Are you doing what he wants you to do? Maybe that's why there's a loose atmosphere. You got to tighten it up. But before you tighten up that atmosphere, tighten up your relationship. God. Forgive me if I've been doing things, if I've been watching things, if I've been listening to things that I shouldn't be. Forgive me, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Make me ever new. I want to change this atmosphere. I want to challenge you, Victory Outreach Heart of the Bay. I know it's a difficult thing sometimes to make a rearrangement and Oh, man, but you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what I've gone through, Pastor. You don't know what I have. Listen, I don't know what Zacchaeus went through. I have no idea. We just talk about him right here. But one thing I do know, this wealthy, short man who could have very well had a bad attitude, 
who could have very well did what he wanted to do, said, listen, if I'm going to change, please, Jesus, come to my house. I'm tired of, of, of being the way that I've been. I keep on trying to ask for forgiveness for a slip-up. God, just change my slip-ups. I don't even want to slip. I don't want a slip of the tongue. I don't want a slip of the foot. I don't want a slip of the hand. I don't want a slip of the eyes. I don't want a slip of nothing. Listen, some of you, you keep asking for forgiveness after it's done. Stop it. Stop that. God will forgive me. Stop it. How about just change your character before God has to forgive you? Will God forgive you? Yes, he will. Of course he will. Because his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. I thank God for that. Man, if that wasn't the case, I probably would have went to hell mornings ago. Whew, I'd be done. But his mercies are new every morning. I want to challenge you. It's victory at Heart of the Bay. No matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, I don't know Zacchaeus is, and I don't know every single one of yours, but I do know one thing. The moment Christ comes into your house, it's got to change. Something has to change. I'm going to make an altar call for those of you that say, listen, this is not one of those like, oh, I feel bad, I feel emotional, I, I, I need to just make an altar call. No. This is one of those where if you know that your house needs to change kind of altar calls, that you are going to be the first to admit and say, man, I got to change. Now, I don't know what needs to change. I have no idea. The person next to you may have no idea. Now, this is the thing about it. You may be embarrassed or shameful because you think, well, this person's going to know if I go up there, they know exactly what needs to change in my house, and that's shameful. Maybe some of you need to change your perspectives on what it is to feel ashamed. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, there is no more shame, condemnation. You don't have to do that. I'll be the first to tell you, things got to change in my house. This kid, this son of mine, oh, Stevie, oh, Jesus. I want to lift my hands and then lay it on him sometimes. Stevie, what did you do? Stop lying. But if he's going to stop lying, i got to start imparting truth. That's my job. I know that. I know that wholeheartedly. It's my job. Is it a difficult one? Yes, it is. Stop doing that. Stop going over there. Why do you do that? Why are you messing around? Stop playing. Okay, it starts with me. So if there's going to be any change under the covering, I'm not talking about your actual house. I'm talking about your home, the covering, the promise. That if you know, if you need a change, and you want the change to start with you, that's what this altar calls for. I want you to stand with me.